church according to the government of the apostles given by Jesus Christ also to enlighten you on some of the ministries gifts which God has placed within the midst of the church we have covered of course the apostles we've covered the prophets gave quite a dissertation on false prophets and we've covered in two sessions the area of a pastor and we will be dealing tonight with the ministry of a teacher but the area of a pastor and we mentioned 12 areas in the work of a pastor that was the feeding of the flock that he should feed the lambs and the old ewes the guarding of the flock from those without and also from those that would rise up from within to take the oversight of course that's to rule and to feed and what his call to the flock was his call is to mature develop and guide others praying for the sick and we gave you quite a dissertation on the right approach to praying for the sick and what individuals owe and what they should do in order to uh, gain some of the things that we're not gaining also pastor's job is to bind up the brokenhearted he prays for the flock continually it's not uh, a sunday morning thing a sunday night thing or a wednesday night thing and it is continually on his heart and on his mind and it's a place and time when you seek god continually for the flock and most often to call their names and what god reveals to you to us as pastors the needs of those individuals that god would supply them also there he tries his best to restore those that have fallen leaving every opportunity for uh, individuals that have fallen by the wayside to be able to make it back into the fold also talks about uh, ministering uh, what some people call visitation of the sheep and we told you what that was from the old testament new testament where they went public from publicly from house to house and uh, the reason they did that is because individuals that had become acquainted with God and were so excited about it they would get some of their friends and their neighbors and they would invite the apostles and the prophets and pastors and teachers whoever might have been there to come and give a Bible lesson it wasn't for social activity at all it wasn't just to be there and say the pastor visited me so if you want a visitation from your leadership get somebody get interested yourself and then get somebody else interested and get them at the house and say come and teach us a lesson amen. all right you're going to find some excited individuals amen my feet probably won't stay on the ground and some of the others probably won't either all right but if you're looking for social aspects of it uh, most probably you'll not see it from uh, these pastors we will come whenever you need us naturally we will also lives as an example it'd be of no value to minister in all of these areas or try to if you wasn't an example to the flock and of course the part that the flock don't like he disciplines the flock he sees the needs he sees the areas in which they need discipline he does that and then he re reproduces other shepherds he does his best to move into the life and discern out of lives what they are what god wants out of them and does his best to reproduce them and bring them uh, out like they should be and then we talk to you about the responsibility of the sheep you do have responsibilities and then we talk to you about how can you know a true shepherd 
So if you didn't remember any of those, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> and I feel sorry for me. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because we presented some pretty good things there. I thought I'd get a meal or two out of it, but so far I haven't got anything. <laughs> Not even a card. So, all right, just leave that the way it is. <laughs> Forget about it. Somebody said you wouldn't come. We'd ask you. Probably not in some areas. <laughs> but we always take a rain. We always take a rain check. See, I, I know what people think. We always take a rain check, and nobody's ever asked again. Okay. <laughs> All right. The ministry of a teacher. It's important for us to recognize the ministries that is in our local congregation as well as the ministries that come through. If we are aware of what they are and what their responsibilities are and why they are here and what part they feel in, uh, in the uh, spirit, why then we could get more out of it. But we've come to the place where we feel everybody's just a preacher. And uh, that is not it at all. Everybody is not just a preacher, although... A connotation could could be most individuals whatever they're called in does have a certain amount of preach in them but if we could recognize who they are wouldn't be as hard on us and we could accept these individuals as to what their calling is and not be expecting them to be like somebody else or do like somebody else each one has a unique calling whether they're apostles their callings is different states and places are different uh, ministry uh, of a prophet, they operate different. Uh, ministries of the pastor, all of these should be, uh, but they might operate in different realms, more intact on one and not so much on the other. Uh, ministry uh, of, of teachers as well as evangelists, uh, each have a unique way of presenting the gospel, and we should be a mature enough, saints mature enough, to allow those individuals to be themselves and be what God calls them to be without great expectations of them being like so-and-so. Teaching was of great emphasis in the ministry of Christ. Now, when you want an example, you go to Christ. He went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Find that in Matthew 4.23 and in 9.35. And I want you to notice how teaching and preaching blend unto one in these references. He taught in the temple of Herod. He taught in the mountains. He taught on the streets. Or wherever the occasion demanded, Jesus taught. He molded his disciples through the anointed word of God. He did not just persuade them because of a continuous stream of indoctrination or whatever. His words were light. They were creative. And they were filled with life and divine authority. Matthew 7, 29 says, For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Now, the scribes were teachers, very fluent in the law, knew it from, from uh, zero, zero to, well, from A to Z. But the teaching of Christ was different than that of the scribes and Pharisees. His words were creative. They were filled with life. He had divine authority in it. And this still remains... The only effective way for Christ followers to teach, and that's endued with the Holy Spirit and endued with power. Now, I want to go over some other areas. The ministry of teachers is spoken of in the New Testament, and it seems clear 
when you read it, that there is a definite and a distinct ministry of teaching. All right? This ministry is exercised by teachers that are called and are equipped by the Spirit and recognized by the church. Recognize again the calling of the individual. Notice Ephesians 4.11, And he gave some, that's some churches, apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. First right. Corinthians 12.28 says, And God hath set some in the church. Notice, God hath set some in the church. First apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healing, helps governments, diversities of tongues. Now, I take that uh, for us to understand that if we recognize these are set in the church and recognize them, and they are filled with God's presence and power and ability, then if we recognize them in perfection as they ought to be, I believe we'd have miracles, I believe we'd have gifts of healing, I believe we'd have helps in governments and diversities of tongues. And all of this, almost in every service, ought to be. Acts 13.1 says, Now there was in the church... That was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. As Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Mananan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. Galatians 6 6 says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in all good things. In other words, Second uh, Timothy carries that a little farther. In 2.2, says, In the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, there should be a passing on of the communications that God gives each individual. Sometimes God will deal with an individual a truth and a revelation. And rather than to be puffed up in the Spirit as if this is our own revelation... We are required by the scriptures is to pass that on to other individuals that they themselves might teach what God has revealed to you. See, it all belongs to God anyway. It all belongs to the church of God. It all belongs to the people of God. And them knowing that said to faithful men. Now you have to understand faithful men and they'll be able to teach others also. Romans 12, 7 of the ministry. Let us wait on our ministry. Or he that teaches on teaching. It's like any other ministry. You receive your calling. You feel it. You keep your spirit uh, antennas up. And you continue on. You study. You pray. And you try to ascertain really in the midst of it all just what is my major in this. Just what is my calling. And sometimes we do many different things and fill many different areas. And then... If we do that and wait on God to tell us uh, what our calling really is and wait on Him, not get in a hurry, not get ahead of Him, not say, well, I believe this is mine, I believe that is mine. Do what God asks you to do, wait on your calling, and then God will solidify you in your major calling. That's not to say He won't use you in some other area, but you will have a major calling in your life, one that you will be productive in, all right? And sometimes if we get out of that, then we are unproductive. And uh, God lets us know that. Okay? James 3.1 is a warning to teachers. The word masters means teachers. 
And all who teach will be held responsible for their teaching by the Lord. I think that's something the church needs to understand, that we're just not up here scot-free. I mean, we're just not doing things and not being held accountable for it because we will be held accountable to the highest court there is in the heavenly land. Maybe not right off, but we will be faced with that. He says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, don't seek to be any greater than what God allows you to be or wants you to be. All right? Don't be any less than He wants you to be, but don't try to be any greater than He wants you to be because the more you know, the more you're held responsible for. The more God reveals to you, the more you're held responsible. That's not to say remain ignorant just so God won't hold you responsible. That is saying whatever revelation God gives you, Whatever study that you put forth, whatever you teach, whether it's a ministry of a teacher, an evangelist, apostle, a prophet, or whatever, you are held personally responsible for that teaching. And every individual that has a calling on their life is acutely aware that they're standing here only as a mouthpiece for God. And that if we get on our own, we will be held responsible for it. The importance of the teaching ministry, probably one of the hardest ministries because people are used to hype. I mean, they want to be hyped up. They got to feel something running above and down their backbone. They, they, they got to be emotional. And most of the teaching is not emotional thing. In fact, sometimes emotionalism interrupts teaching. Okay? Sometimes our, our mind is here, there, and someplace else. And that's why sometimes... Uh, when it comes to teaching service, we don't have an, emo- an emotional pre-game service, so to speak, all right? And we feel like sometimes if we don't get emotional where God's not with us, but that's not right. God is setting the stage for some genuine, old-fashioned teaching where nothing is disturbed in this mind, and this mind is open for receiving the Word of God. And you have to understand it is just as important, maybe even more so, than a little emotional tent to our service, okay? Teaching might be likened to the foundation of the building. Now, you can't build very little on a people that has no teaching. Now, if you've been around as long as I have and as many places as I've been, you'll see that teaching sometimes is lacking and people are simply not faithful. They don't have a foundation to them. They're easily moved. Uh, They're easily uh, pulled aside and all of this. And they don't have any spiritual foundation to them. And that's why teaching is important. Now, you can teach all you want to, but you've got to have hearers. You've got to have listeners. You've got to have people that's hungry for the Word of God. I think the thing that amazes me, really, is I watch some of these television programs and I see them teaching on these little minor issues that any kindergarten person ought to have. And I see there individuals with notebook in their hand with their eyes wide open and they are listening to every little thing that this individual has to say and some of it's erroneous. But they're taking it all in. But when truth comes, sometimes people sit sleepy-eyed unconcerned because they don't feel the Spirit. Now there's nothing wrong with feeling the Spirit. Okay? But there's something wrong if that's all you want to do is feel the Spirit. You need some divine guidance and something that would penetrate into your spirit and let you know what God wants out of you 
out of the congregation and out of the church. Without teaching, saints will always be in an emotional, unstable realm. Okay? You've got to have basic teaching. It's impossible to bring a church unto maturity without the teaching ministry to stabilize it and to cause it to grow. That's why individuals need to recognize teachers that have a calling on that. Uh, sometimes uh, that, that's about all their calling is, and that is important. And if they don't have them in the local church, Every church should see to it that they get teachers in every so often to stabilize their congregation. Amen. Jealousy won't permit that for the most part, but I'm telling you what the Bible says and the way it ought to be. It's a one-man show, and jealousy causes it to be that way. And some way God's trying to get our attention that he sat in the church as it pleased him, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. It's not a one-man show. It's a body ministry. We need to recognize that. And I'm not taking away the responsibility and rulership of the pastor or the senior elder. I would not do that because somebody has to be the uh, ruler in a sense. But still need to recognize the need of trained individuals and individuals with an appetite for teaching that will endure sound doctrine. In other words, that is something that simply will chase everything out of your life that don't belong there and put you in the kingdom of God. Timothy warns us about that in 4.3, 2 Timothy said the time will come when they'll simply not endure sound doctrine. That means they won't bear it patiently, they won't tolerate it, and they won't permit it. Amen? They won't allow it to be there. If that's all you've got, why well then send you on your way and get us some little pretty playboy and let him tell us some beautiful stories and let us live as we please and go where we please and all of that. That'll not get you saved, saints. That'll not get you solidified. You need something under your belt and more so as we get into this day, something that'll be solid enough. So as I said before, so when the shout is gone and the tongue can't form any words, you still know where you're at and you still have your feet on this solid rock and you will not be moved because you have heard the Word of God and established in your life. Okay? There has to be a balanced emphasis placed on each ministry. And we're not going to be effective as a church until that is carried out. Now notice I did not say that we would grow by leaps and bounds. I didn't say that. God only knows we need more growth. But I'm talking about now seriously affecting our lives and solidifying us so that when problems do come, and they will, there's going to come a time, saints, when people is going to need the house of God and going to need somebody that has been there that knows what it's all about. And if you're not solidified in God and steady in God, you can't hand them anything. Amen. If you waves of an ocean and, and uh, you have doubts and fears in your life, you can't do them any good at all. But I said that during my ministry at Grandview, there's coming a time when people is going to need the house of God. And that was to me a fresh revelation, if you want to call it that. But I've been to a lot of places where individuals I know had been spoken to God to build 
a certain size of a tabernacle. I know that that's what God told us here and at Grandview and others. And I thought, God, why do you impress upon us to build something like this and then just give us 20 or 25 people? And the Spirit of the Lord just simply spoke to me, and my spirit leaped within me, and he said, it is for the preparation of what is to come, because you're going to need that, and even more, when the time comes when people have nothing else to turn to, they'll turn to God. But we need a base, and we need, uh, we need uh, uh, something inside a core of individuals established to be able to help them. You see, as I don't know when it'll be. I pray that I'm around when it happens, but it's going to need more than a pastor to be able to handle these things. Saints is going to have to simply be stout enough and strong enough and settled enough to be able to handle some of these little things in life. If we can't handle it in our own life, how can we help anybody else, saints? Come on. Let's be realistic. Let's get real on this. If we learn how to handle it in our life, uh, then we'll be able to help somebody else. Note, Christ has assured his disciples that he would build his church. And he said, no force is going to stop it from being completed. And just prior to his ascension, he further, further assures them, all powers given me in heaven and in earth. He then proceeds to instruct them in the work of building his church. And he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teaching of the word of God is important. The command is to go, it's to, uh, command is to teach, and it's based on the fact that Christ has all power, and Christ then has delegated this power to his church. Amen. Okay? Teaching Christ in his word for all those who are faithful is always accompanied by the authority of God. And teaching is a method that we can extend the kingdom of God. So how does teaching fit into the overall ministry of the church? Well, I want to talk about how teaching relates, first of all, to the apostle, prophet, evangelist, and pastor, because all of them should have some element of teaching in them. Okay? That's not their primary calling, but they should have some area element of teaching in them, and I want to show you some areas uh, that substantiates that. Let's first talk about the apostle. In Acts 13, 1, Saul is listed among the prophets and teachers. Uh, that's uh, Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul. And it seems evident that Paul was used a lot in the teaching uh, in his apostolic ministry. Good preparation for any ministry is study the Word of God, okay? And it can be times that we master the truth and we lay a foundation for our later years. Study is important for any ministry, but it is more very, very important for young ministries that we know the fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ and we will not be moved. So study is important. First Corinthians 4.17 says, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, or Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I, notice this is impossible, as I teach everywhere in every church. So he had to have an element of teaching in his spirit, even though primarily he was an apostle. Acts 15.35, Paul also and Barnabas continued Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of God with many others also. Notice the blending together then of teaching and preaching. 
Acts 18, 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. I notice in 2 Timothy 1, 1, <coughs> pardon me, the three offices that the Apostle Paul filled. He says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Quite a versatile individual. Teaching then becomes an essential part of the apostolic ministry. We need not only to learn how to preach in a sense, but we need to learn how, in a sense, to have some type of teaching under our belt. Now also prophets. See what happens there. Acts 15.32 And Judas and Silas, Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Acts 13.1 Now there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. Even the prophets have a degree of teaching ministry. Now let's try the evangelist. 2 Timothy 4.5 But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, do the work of evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now in 2 Timothy 4, 2 and 3, here Paul tells Timothy just what the work of an evangelist is. Preach the word, be instant in, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teaching, teachers having itching ears. So it is, it is obvious that being an evangelist involves a lot of teaching. We'll get to the evangelist a little bit later, and it's not uh, the type of ministry that we term evangelist. We're erroneous in thinking that we call an evangelist in, and he stirs up the people, and a lot of people come in, and, and they get converted, and that's the evangelist's job. No, sir, it is not. It is the saint's job to create a revival inside. It ought to be all the time. We ought to have to have somebody to come in and stir us up. We ought to be stirred up all the time. And it's the church's job, the sheep's job, the saint's job to create an emotional revival spirit to bring people in. We ought to have revival on Sunday night, on Sunday morning, and on Wednesday night. Typical. Maybe not the emotional type, but there ought to be a revival spirit inside of us at all times that says, God, tell me more. Tell me more. So that is really not the work of an evangelist. Again, we see how vital teaching is or was to the ministry of the evangelist in 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach also. We just read that one. Now then the pastor. So 1 Timothy 3.2. A bishop, pastor, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, I qualify, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. Apt to teach. In other words, Pastor, you can't just get up there and spout off a little sermon here and there. You're going to have to have some teaching abilities in your life. Amen. Titus 1.9, again speaking to Pastor, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Acts 20 and 28, Paul exhorts the Ephesian elders, Take heed therefore to yourself, to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. You see, one cannot qualify in any of these ministries without being a teacher to some degree. I just throw that in because that's not basically... Uh, the calling of a teacher, but you have to have that in some degree. And it's true that some have a broader teaching ministry than others. 
fact, a lot of individuals are called only for that. And that's not putting them down. That is God's calling. God will, will open it up. God will tell us what we're supposed to be doing. All right? There's a great variety in the same, off, same areas. We said before, diversities of operation, still the same God. God equips some, enables them to con- communicate effectively. And it's not just having knowledge but also the ability to present it so others can learn and retain it. This involves the entire personality of the teacher. In other words, it has to be, and we're talking now about the one with the teaching ministry. They will approach the Word of God differently. They will not change it, but they will approach it differently. All right? Uh, In order to be able to reach all diverse types of people. All right? Some people somebody can reach... Others, it floats over their head. They don't communicate the way they're thinking. And others can come along and say the same thing in a different way. And they get it. That's why God has diversities of operations. But it's the same God. And there's a great variety in the same office. Also, diversities of operations, still the same God. And God equips us. And asks the teacher to communicate effectively. It's not just being able to know something. All right? It's not just to study And that is very important. You cannot be a teacher without study. But there has to be a knowledge. There has to be a reading of individual lives. And more than anything else, saints, you're going to have to have a congregation that wants to hear it. Amen. Amen. Although the individuals fulfill their responsibility by ministering it, but if it goes over your head, then you are held responsible for what happens in the body of Christ where He has set you. That's true. I'm going to say it again, whether you are here or not. Right. Is that all right? You are going to be held accountable and responsible for the word that went forth in the body. If you're not here, we, God has provided us with some excellent ways where you don't have to miss a service. Okay? I'm just trying to get you to understand how important it is to be in the body of Christ. And your responsibility of being in the body of Christ. And we need to know everything that goes on, especially in teaching sessions, the Word of God, whatever, what God has said to us. Okay? Now there's individuals that travel and teach. Basically just a teacher. But also traveling teachers will function in the capacity of evangelists or apostles. But also local elders, individuals that come up in the church that really don't have a desire to go much at all. Their calling is to the local assembly and they have their teaching ministries. That teaching ministry is to the local assembly and perhaps it might extend out here and there someplace else. But basically it is called up and it is to the local assembly that God speaks to those individuals. God talks to those individuals. God tells them uh, what is needed. And this is brought out in Galatians 6, 6. Let him that is taught in the word, and we read that again, communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things or share with them. Whatever is their share with individuals. Also, how does spiritual teaching operate? Okay, there has to be a balance between action and doing and in theory. 
the doctrine and the experience of truth. You have to not only know it in theory, but you have to put it into action. Uh, our knowledge of the written word, and we need knowledge of the written word, has to be balanced by our revelation to the word incarnate, which is Christ. In other words, we have to have a very personal relationship with Almighty God in our life as we read the written word. You see, it will mean very little to us until a revelation, illumination, it jumps out at us. And we are instructed then to teach others also so that they can teach others also. It ought to be an ongoing thing from the time it leaves this pulpit and a light in your heart. You ought to desire to teach somebody else what has went on and what you have learned. It should not fall on deaf ears. It should not stay in community chapel building. It ought to get out of here, saints. And the only way it's going to do it... Amen. Paul said, I'm not ashamed. Sometimes I wonder if we really are. But you have to know God. I mean, uh, the spiritual must combine with the natural in everyday life. We must not only say it, but we have to demonstrate it. And it's always the best teaching method. In other words, don't tell somebody how to live unless you've lived it yourself. All right? The Word of God is still a reality. Uh, and whether a person lives it or not. But the more impact, the better you live it, the more impact it's going to have. And people say, hey, that really works. I've watched it in action. It's not just a word thrown out here. It's, it's a word in action. And it comes through study and demonstration. Christ's method, of course, was to speak good news and then demonstrate it. In other words, tell you something good and then demonstrate the fact that it does made a difference in my life. Amen. It has changed me. I'm a different person. I don't want all these things I used to want. I don't desire the things of this world. The sad part is, saints, as once having come to God and once having known that and spoken of the good news and we demonstrated it because there was a change in our life and then all at once things get humdrum. Demands begin to be made from out here and from out there. And the first thing you know, you're willing to compromise a life that has given you everything you ever wanted and compromise it and go back again into that thing that made you sick to death of it in the sight. God help us. He taught good news. He demonstrated it. He did in this ever possible way. He demonstrated his Sermon on the Mount by his personality, his dealings with humanity. He demonstrated the gospel of the kingdom when he come by healing all manners of sickness. He demonstrated his power over nature by calming the waves. Everything that he said he was, he demonstrated it. Matthew 5, 19 illustrates this. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so... He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but I'd like to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I give up the fact they're going to call me great here in this kingdom of man. But I'd like to be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't make any difference how they relegate me to the lowest part. As long as I feel like that in God's eyes I'm doing what He wants me to do the way He wants me to do it. Hallelujah. It doesn't really matter what people say or what they think. It 
doesn't help us sometimes when they keep putting us down. But just to go to God and say, God, is this all right with you? Is this is this right? And what I, what I'm doing and what I'm feeling is that right? And then just hear a kind of little pat on the head and say, you know what's right. <laughs> You've been taught what it is. Uh, Acts one one. The for, former treaties have I made, O Theopolis, of all Jesus began to do and teach. You see, a teacher should teach because he's doing. Amen. That's his degree of effectiveness. And that goes for everybody too. But we're dealing with teachers here. That goes for everyone uh, of the fivefold ministry. He should be able to do uh, do what, what he preaches. The same principle applies, of course, to evangelists, uh, to others. We must do the works of our Father, not just say the words. And if you desire to bring spiritual maturity, the operation of the gift in the church, you have to tell and then you have to demonstrate. People just do not learn until you both tell, then show them how it works. All right? They will not learn. It's show and tell time, saints. In other words, you teach them about it, you tell them about it, demonstrate these things and show that God is a reality. The truth of the Word must be revealed by the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. Anytime you get so educated and read so much that we feel like that we can leave the Holy Spirit out of it. I know a minister personally that can preach. And he is, <laughs> I don't know what to call him, but uh, he is not godly. He's been known to take young ministers to dirty movies. His, con his conversation is worldly and ungodly. And his life has lived that way. But he can preach. Because he has the ability on his own. But there's just one thing that falls flat. And that's for the Holy Ghost pill people that understand the anointing power of God. He doesn't touch them. Amen. To their intellectual mind or somebody that wants to hear some good things, he touches their life. But what we need to do is be touched by the Holy Ghost of God every time we're in the house of God. It needs to be illuminated by God's power. We can't do without the Holy Ghost in our life and in our ministry and in our congregation. It has to be here, saints. It has to be here. And whether the congregation is anointed or not, the Word of God has to be. So you see what a job that we have. We have to look out and see you not anointed, and we have to get anointed anyway. God help us. All right. All right. We have to have the Holy Ghost in our life. We have to have that in our ministry. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 and 14. And I think I want to read that one just direct from the Bible. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 14. Listen to what it says. And then we'll elaborate on that a little bit. Albeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak wisdom, the wisdom of God in a mystery. Even a hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world into His glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen, ear ha I have not seen, nor ear heard, 
Neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Okay? We don't know about it. We can't understand it when it comes to the natural understanding. But notice what it says. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given unto God, which things also we speak, not in the words of man's wisdom, teacheth, not words which man's wisdom teaches, but that which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. In other words, the Holy Ghost has to breathe upon a life. If we want the same old dull stuff over and over, then we can have it. But if we want the anointing of God, we want God to breathe upon the Word of God, breathe upon His vessel, then we have to have the Holy Ghost. Paul emphasizes the spirit of revelation in this. He makes it clear that you cannot know God initially by the mind alone. By the mind alone. Nor can you go on learning spiritual things with the unaided human mind. Okay? Spiritual knowledge cannot be arrived at as a normal process of human deduction or reasoning. You can deduct, you can think, you can do whatever you want to do, you can search psychology books, whatever, but it will never bring you the fresh revelation of God's Spirit. All right? A teacher in the church that is not just as well-informed person or a source of van a teacher in the church is not just a well-informed person or a source of vast knowledge. There's nothing wrong with having vast knowledge as long as the principle of revelation is still operating in our ministry. In other words, you need to know, you need to learn, you need to search out, you need to know what people thought back then, you need to know uh, what God thinks now, and you need to make that application to your ministry. John says, 1426, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, shall teach you all things. <laughs> Hallelujah. If you're going to learn anything, the Holy Ghost is going to teach you. But He's not going to set you aside someplace and say, Okay, sit there now. Holy Ghost is going to teach you. He's going to use His anointed ministry to teach you. And using the human instrumentality, He's going to speak through human lips and teach you His divine ways. And when we ignore that, saints, we stay little, we stay crippled, and we stay immature. Okay? And then another thing, and bring all things to your remembrance... Whatsoever I have said unto you. See, you're going to have to know these things before that computer switch turns on. Somebody said, I don't need to learn these things. The Holy Ghost will teach me. The Holy Ghost is going to teach you what you've read and what you've heard. It will bring to your remembrance those things. If you haven't heard them, it won't bring it to your remembrance. If you haven't read it, it cannot bring it to your remembrance. And that's why a lot of individuals nowadays... Christians are suffering untold agonies and sicknesses and diseases and other things like that is simply because they haven't heard what God has to say. We still insist on doing it our way. What is it? Song says, doing it my way. 
We have got in such a habit of doing it our way. I've done this all my life. Bless God, I'm not going to be changed now. And we still suffer under the curse of the enemy because we have not come in God's perfect way and we won't hear and let it be changed. See, God likes for us to have good things. He's not a sadistic God that withholds these things, but He is still not a God that will say, this is the way it has to be done, and then pat you on your little head and say, you don't have to do it. He's not going to do that. Everybody's the same with God. Amen. You don't have a, a certain end with God that nobody else has. Amen. Regardless of how much you think you have, regardless of how much you insist that you have, you cannot, since you cannot do it your way, and receive the full blessings of God. You're going to be limited. That's not to say God doesn't love you. That's not to say He doesn't grant you through His mercy a few little things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what the church ought to be, what the church ought to be doing right now, and it is God's lesson to us. And we just can't go on and say, well, you know... It's just one of those things. I, I can't change. I've been doing this for years. I can't see any reason to change. God just blessed me all over myself. But still, where is those things in your life that God said would be? Where are they at? I mean, it's not enough to shout. Okay? It's not enough to get a blessing. What we're interested in is alleviating the pain in our lives, in our families, and in the world. And there are certain areas that we do that in. And all of this comes through the teaching of God's Word. Amen. Teaching, pre preaching for the most part, hits and misses and, and illuminates and so on like that and takes a subject and, and can elaborate, elaborate it on it fully. And that is still important. But teaching has to be uh, inch by inch, knowledge by knowledge, here a little and there a little, in order to not skip anything. In other words, I can take when I'm preaching and take about uh, three little pages of notes and make it fine. But when you go to teaching, you can't do that because you want to cover every little minute point that is possible to do. And when we do that... We lose a lot of congregation because they don't know what's going on, okay? All right. Here we see this, the minister of the Spirit that teaches the words of the Lord. He's taken the place of Christ. Holy Ghost has in the ministry. He also brings us to Christ's teaching. Teacher does in need. Galatians 1.12 for, for I neither received it of man, neither was it taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul received a lot of great truths direct from God. And I made the statement often and I made it this weekend. We need to quit living off of dead men's brains. There's new revelations that's out there for the studious, praying individual, minister, pastor, evangelist, teacher, whatever. There's new revelations just waiting to be opened up. And yet we seem to continue to just go over and over what commentaries say and what this one says and what that one says. And they're all right. But add to that with fresh revelations of God. Because there's new things that need to be said in our generation. 
And we need to receive these great truths from God. We have to give ourselves to study and to research. But at the same time, our spirit is to be in active communication with the Holy Spirit. I wish some way you could understand what it is like to have to spend time in research and in study. And then by the same token, balance that with prayer with the Holy Spirit. In preparation for a message that half the people might hear. And you come with that knowledge. You know this is what is going to happen. And still there's something that urges you on. Because this is your responsibility. And of course we could flippantly do this and that and something else. But if we're called man of God, we're going to give it all we've got. As long as we can give it. It's dangerous. This is something that I've found out in my years. It's dangerous to study long periods of time in utter dryness. I mean, just to read, just to be reading. When we find ourselves that way, and we sense our spirit is, is gone to sleep or going to sleep, or whatever, then it's time to fold the Bible up and stop and pray and ask God to quicken these things to us. And we have to beware of the human tendency to pursue truth just purely on a mental basis. You're not going to be able to do it. That brings us sometimes into a lot of problems when we feel that it is necessity. And saints, let let me just say this. A church puts a lot of responsibility upon a ministry to deliver. Amen? I mean, you, you, you do something and say something that'll move us. Come on, show us what you got. Instead of already having what he's got and get ready to receive what he's about ready to give you and be enlightened by the Holy Ghost and come concerned about the Word of God and about the man in the, on the tape said, when are you going to do the stuff? <laughs> when are you going to do the stuff? What stuff? Well, you know, open the blind eyes and all of this stuff. Oh, we don't do that anymore. You know, hey, we ought to be doing that. That's the stuff. Okay, and we ought to come excited about it. He said he was excited about it. Of course, that's sometimes just signs following all the time. We're not supposed to follow signs. They're supposed to follow us. Okay? But if we treat the Bible, you see, uh, study methods are important. First off is study of Bible principles. That's vital. But you can still use them and still dry up. I'm trying to say a study is fine, that's good. But if you leave the Spirit of God, the anointing of God, uh, then nothing happens. If we treat the Bible like a human book, then you'll not be a teacher in the true Bible sense. But you'll only operate in the realm of your mental, what you can. We need to balance solid doctrine with a spiritual life. And the two should never be separated. Never. When you separate good doctrine from experience, you create emotionalism. Now, I want to say that again. When you separate good doctrine from experience, you create emotionalism. When you separate experience from doctrine, you have dead, powerless religion. So we need to understand there's a need for us to understand that. Either of these extremes represent an imbalance. The church is living with their body not in balance. Uh, you go to a doctor sometimes and, and, and your, your, uh, your physical body 
is, is not in balance. Something is wrong in this part of it. And the doctor tells you, well, you need this, you need that, you need some iron tablets or whatever else you need because you're, you're, you're unbalanced in your body. And that's the trouble with, this, with it, the natural body or the spiritual body of Christ now is we're unbalanced in our, in our body. We're needing something. We need a transfusion. Amen. We need the blood of Jesus Christ to take away some old Adam's nature. We need an infusion of the Holy Ghost. Most of us in our immature state are inclined one way or the other. It's either a sign of maturity or else we find the balance. Now in conclusion, of course the Spirit of God in us, we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 Corinthians 2.16 For who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct Him but we have the mind of Christ. We are enabled through the power of the Holy Ghost to discern and know spiritual things which are above the sensual and the natural level. Let me give you an illustration that happened some years ago. Now, there are others closer to that than that, but uh, for fear of, uh, of uh, maybe getting somebody's life, this is some time ago. And everything in this church seemed to be going just, just marvelous, just fine. And in praying one time, the Spirit spoke to me and said, There's adultery in the church. And I said that in the pulpit. There's adultery in the church. Oh, Brother Hoskall. I don't believe that. Oh, who is it? I don't believe that. Just a few months after that, and it had been going on, since that time and before it came to the forefront a lot of people were hurt yes. that wouldn't have been if they would have listened right. not from a sinful natural level but what the Holy Ghost does I'm not smart enough to do these things I'll never be smart enough to know these things but the Holy Ghost is smart enough to know what is in your life Amen. and if I need to know it he'll tell me and if you need to know it, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. Paul taught that spiritual activity has to operate. Paul coveted the new converts to enter into this on the level of personal knowledge of God. You'll find this, and I want you to read it. I'm not going to Ephesians 1, 15, and 18, and 3, and 16, and 19. Notice these were new converts. They were not theologians, theologians, but they were simple, common people. And this would lead us to believe that spiritual insight does not depend on the intellectual abilities of man. Right. It does not. Right. A Bible teacher is one that can thus receive truth and then impart that first-hand knowledge to others. He is only really effective to the degree that he knows truth. Now, knowing the Hebrew was an experimental knowledge. In other words, he experienced truth. He knows it firsthand. And it's important for a teacher to be an effective organizer of knowledge. You need your facts. You need to organize your facts. 
to think and to talk and to write with logic and with clarity, leaving no stone unturned. And it is sometimes a person is pressured to leave out some details because he feels as if he's losing his congregation. And this is a misnomer. This is a no-no. It should never be. He should never do that regardless of whether his congregation seems to be turned off or not. He at best just shut it down right then or continue on because somebody's going to listen. Do not ever let your congregation dictate to you how you should minister. Amen? In any way, any form or any fashion. If one is weak in this, it's going to hinder his ability to communicate truth. In other words, organize, think, talk, write with logic and clarity and get it all down and then let the Holy Spirit anoint it. Now, a dozen ways to say anything, but a good teacher is one that can say it in a way that's easily understood by those that are interested. Hard to understand by those who are not. They'll never grasp anything that is said. So I have long since decided that I will put my attention on those that are hungry and let the rest of them flows along, all right? Because hungry souls need to be fed. In order for people to grasp what is being taught, it must be logically and systematically presented, building line upon line and precept upon precept. And this cannot be achieved without a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of research on the time of the teacher. Some studies, I suppose, on how to present a message might be helpful, but most of the time the Holy Ghost is your best teacher. Just ask God how this needs to be presented. It is not easy to gather knowledge and then put it systematically in the place where it ought to be. <laughs> it's just not easy to do that. I mean, you gather all of this knowledge and you get it all there, and then you're wondering what I do with this and where do I put this and where should this belong and where can this mean the most and have most impact. Okay? So, we are finished with a teacher. Okay? Now, this goes far and above, and I'm not putting down Sunday school teachers because they are important, but we're not talking about Sunday school teaching in this. We're talking about one of the fivefold ministries that is extremely important in laying a foundation for local churches and presenting truths of God to local churches and in lives to bring the body into balance. Okay, you need them all. You need the apostle. You need the prophet. You need the pastor, you need the evangelist, and you need the teacher. And like I said, if they are not available in the local congregation, we have been blessed here, then it is up to the pastor to find the right time to call one in. Okay, and see that he is a good prophet, he is a good evangelist, and we'll deal with the evangelist a little bit later on and you you might be surprised some of you may not but you might be surprised just how important the evangelist is and what he really did in the establishment of the New Testament church stand with me